It's episode 51 of The Build. And we have some controversy controversy in this week's sweater number bit, believe it or not. Last week we had, or last week, last episode, which was actually a few days ago, we had a little bit of controversy, but this one is a little bit different. Hockey reference, which is where I go for all of these answers, has the last hab to wear 51 as Emil, Emil Heineman. The only problem with that is that Heineman has yet to play an NHL game for the Montreal Canadiens. So we are skipping him because we have not entered our Emil Heineman era yet. We are in our Gustav Olofsson era, our David Dayarnay period, our Aaron Pulishai time. And one more, because I think it best encapsulates this number, our Francis Bouillon chapter. Really, that number is always going to be Dayarnay and, and Bouillon to me. Um, it'll be kind of weird seeing Heineman wear it this upcoming season, um, potentially. You know, I think he'll start in the AHL, but if his short AHL career is anything to go by, he could really be a, a, a good player for the Montreal Canadiens. So excited to see him, but 51, that's that's little Davey, and that's Cube. That's Bouillon. All right, enough of that bit. That's not why you're here. Let's talk about the trade. On Sunday morning, the Montreal Canadiens announced that they were part of a three-team trade that goes like this. The Montreal Canadiens acquire Jeff Petrie, with Pittsburgh retaining 25%, goaltender Casey DeSmith, forward Nathan Legare, and Pittsburgh's 2025 second-round pick. The Pan- or I, should, I should say, the San Jose Sharks acquire Mike Hoffman, Michael Granlund, Jan Ruda, and Pittsburgh's 2024 first-round pick. And the Pittsburgh Penguins acquire Eric Carlson, 13% retained by San Jose, about $1.5 million per season. Dylan Hamaliuk, Hamaliuk, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, forward Rem Pitlick from the Montreal Canadiens, and a 2026 third-round pick from the San Jose Sharks. So I want to start this by saying I was wrong and I was right. Let's start with wrong. A few episodes ago, I complained about the fact that I thought this Carlson trade was starting to have some uh, feelings like the Duchesne trade era in that we waited for that trade for months and months and months, and then it finally happened in the middle of the season. I thought that this was going to get dragged into the regular season because I thought the Sharks concept of what they wanted and what they didn't want to do to get that. We're so far removed from the reality that we live in. Um, but that isn't going to happen. So I'm going to take the L on that one. Where I will not take the L is in the fact that I thought the Canadians had a really good opportunity to get in on this trade. Not to get Carlson, but to help Pittsburgh made space. Which is exactly what happened. I floated the idea of a Jeff Carter potentially waiving his no trade to come to Montreal. Because in my mind, I didn't think Jeff Petrie was ever going to come back to Montreal because he had that no trade. And I assumed that he had Montreal on it. But as it turns out, no one needed to waive anything to come to Montreal because Jeff Petrie did not have Montreal on his 15-team no trade list. 
And honestly, I think that's why Montreal wasn't on Jeff Petrie's no trade list in thinking like he really didn't think a trade back to Montreal was ever possible. So he didn't waste a protection spot against it. He had a 15 team no trade list, which is a lot. So you'd think maybe he'd want to be certain, but I guess not. He just didn't put Montreal on it. We'll get back to Petrie in a bit, but last August, Kent Hughes saw Calgary trying to sign Nazem Kadri, and he saw a team in need of clearing cap space, and he found a way to get Calgary to pay to clear that cap space. Um, I think that's one thing that Kent Hughes has been fantastic at so far is weaponizing, you know, Carey Price's long-term injured reserve cap space. And, you know, I've been looking for patterns to see how things unfold, to see how this team thinks. And that's not a fruitless mental exercise. These GMs are creatures of habit. You want to know how I know that? This isn't even the first three-team trade between the Habs, Sharks, and Penguins this year. (laughs) The Nick Bonino trade was at the trade deadline, and it involved these three teams. I wonder how much of this trade, the one that happened over the weekend was conceptualized back then. Dubas wasn't in Pittsburgh yet, but I imagine a lot of the staff working on the Bonino trade are still around there. So how does Kent Hughes do in this trade? Honestly, he does really well and for a lot of different reasons. Um, For starters, and most importantly in my mind, he was able to create roster space with Hoffman and Pitlick being moved out. A few episodes ago, I talked about the Habs contract situation and how the veteran players were holding roster spots that would be better utilized with a player on an ELC getting NHL experience. You know, Arpin Basu for The Athletic in his, you know, post-trade wrap-up where him and I think it was um, Rob Rossi uh, were talking about the Canadians and Penguins, how they see their parts of this trade. Um, he kind of pointed out that Arvin Basu, that is, pointed out that Rem Pitlick probably wasn't going to make the Canadians out of camp, and Mike Hoffman might not have done it either. So to to move those guys at this stage of the offseason and attach it to one of the biggest blockbusters of the offseason in order to accomplish what you wanted to do, it's really nice work from Kent Hughes to understand the market and see how the Canadians could possibly fit in. Cap Friendly, as of this recording, uh, have the Canadians listed as using 22 of their 23 roster spots at the moment, but there are some caveats here. Cap Friendly does not have Primo on the NHL roster, but they do have three NHL goaltenders on the roster, so after the goaltending is figured out, they'll likely have two spots to play with. And speaking of goaltending, they add some NHL insurance, but I'm sort of confused about this whole thing. Um... Casey DeSmith comes in as a decent NHL backup goalie, and that's about the nicest thing you will hear me say about him. For more information, head to his Wikipedia page. You will probably find the arrest and expulsion part of the playing career section to be illuminating. So what's the plan here? Now Montreal has four goalies who require waivers to go to Laval. All four of the Canadians' goaltenders are not waiver-exempt. I've seen some takes saying he's insurance for if Primo is claimed claimed off waivers, but if Primo is claimed off waivers, 
De Smith doesn't really help the Canadians at all. If 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 only that one thing happens, right? If only Primo is claimed off waivers and no other changes to the goaltending take place, you now have three NHL goaltenders in Allen, Montembeau, and DeSmith. And who's your your starting goaltender in Laval? And Montreal would still have a a healthy scratched goalie every night. It's not a great use of that roster space. The easiest solution here is probably trading Jake Allen, but that's not going to be easy in any sense of the word. Allen is coming off of one of the worst seasons of his career, an 891 save percentage and a 355 goals against average. I know he played on a bad team, but so did Sam Montebo. Um, among goalies to play at least 20 games, Allen ranks 37th in goals saved above expected with a minus 1.9. And oh yeah, he's just starting his two-year $3.85 million AAV contract extension that includes a seven-team no-trade list. So if they're looking to trade one of those four players, it's probably Allen. But that's going to be really difficult to pull off. So Montreal either wants to create a goaltending gauntlet in training camp or some other shoe is about to drop here. Um, and also, I lied. There's two more nice things I want to say about DeSmith. Um, he only makes $1.8 million, so about half of his cap hit can be buried in Laval should he clear waivers. And he's a UFA at the end of the season. So he's gone after this one, hopefully. Um, so th that's where I'll leave the goaltending part of this conversation. Uh, moving on, Nathan Legere comes in, uh, and he comes home in this deal, a Montreal native. Um, 2013 or 2013, 2019 third round pick by Pittsburgh, 22 years old. He has yet to play an NHL game. The idea that he can do that as a Montreal Canadian at, on home ice um, is pretty cool. But he's likely an AHL guy for the foreseeable future, and that's fine. Laval needs young players too. They need to build a roster there as well to give the young players that they have coming through an opportunity to win hockey games. Um, you know, I know that winning isn't important in development, but, you know, it, it certainly beats the alternative, right? Like, it, given the choice between winning and losing, you'd probably want to expose that those young players to as much winning as possible. On top of that, Montreal adds a potentially valuable second-round pick in 2025. It's not this upcoming draft, but the one following. And who knows how well this Penguins experiment is going to go with Dubas at the helm. Maybe that second rounder is like a mid-second rounder. Um, adding that pick in order to take on Petrie's contract is nice work by Kent Hughes. I really, I like Realistically, he turned cap space into finding a way to move Mike Hoffman, finding a new home for Rem Pitlick, taking on Jeff Petrie, and taking a second round pick for the trouble. All right, I guess I should talk about Jeff Petrie again. Um, first of all, this is very odd timing for this show. Just a few days ago, when I was sort of reminiscing about the early days of, of the build and talking about the end of the Ducharme era and how Dom Ducharme effectively broke Jeff Petrie's brain <laughs> and how fans really seemed to blame Petrie for things going sideways. 
and now he's back. <laughs> I also was talking about how like Rem Pitlick's a pretty cool dude in the last episode, and now he's gone. Um, I, I could go into why Jeff Petrie is a good fit back in Montreal and how he should help the young players improve over the next two years of his deal. But it seems like he's on the move again. Um, Eric Engels gave that impression after the trade, saying it likely won't be immediate, but the Canadians are going to try to flip him between now and the start of the season. Um, we'll get into flipping Petrie in a moment. But at face value, let's update our trade tiers first. Um, Ken Hughes certainly made this exercise a bit harder by trading for a player he already had and will then trade him again. Um, so in our trade list, this trade will appear as Petrie 2 because the last one was Petrie slash Matheson. This one's just going to be Petrie 2, and we'll just have to remember it that way. Um, by the way, if you want to follow along at home, head to my Twitter account at Maybe It's Ian or my Blue Sky of the same handle at Maybe It's Ian or the Blue Sky for this podcast at The Build. I'll share the updated tier list. Um, you know, threaded with the link to this episode so you can follow along. Um, the Petri 2 trade is going into the incredibly crowded B tier that will be less crowded once I explain what's going on. To place this, let's recap what it does for Montreal. It clears roster space for younger forwards. That's awesome. It's great. You know, yes, Ulinen doesn't have that much of a uh, you know, an upward climb to, to grab a roster spot, that's always good. It adds to whatever the plan is for the goaltending. That's sort of a, just a big shrug at this point. It's not a negative to add another goalie, but it sure is weird. Um, it adds a second-round pick. Those are great. It adds Petrie as an asset to acquire more assets, or Petrie as Petrie. And we can just really take it at that. And it subtracts nothing from the Canadians' long-term plans. Um, you know, Hoffman and uh, Pitlick were, you know, expiring assets. They weren't going to stick around for a long time. Does not cost Montreal anything in, in the future, which is far more valuable than their present. And, it you know, it, it adds a decent bit of value for nothing more than the two seasons of Petrie's cap hit. Uh, Montreal will not miss that cap space. They're set to have around $20 million in cap space next season with price on long-term injured reserve. So this sticks as a B-tier trade for now. Um, really solid work by Hughes. But in looking at the trade tiers, I also realized that the, the two trades that saw Montreal land Kirby Dock shouldn't be in B. Those should be A-tier trades. And those trades for, you know those who might not remember being Alex Romanoff for what I believe is the 12th overall pick in 2022. And then that pick for Kirby doc. I think that those are a clear step above all of those deals that came in the B tier because of the season that Kirby doc had. So the B tier slims down a bit um, as the doc trades join the Kulak trade in the a section of our tier list. So let's get back to this idea of flipping Jeff Petrie. Um, as it stands, the Canadians likely acquired Jeff Petrie with the intention of flipping him, something they are probably already working on. Um, by the way, like it, it's like it, 
the Canes media team, they, I don't know why it, it struck me as odd, but they tweeted a picture, you know, the, the, the trade announcement, and they tweet like a graphic. And the picture of Jeff Petrie they used was of him in a Penguins uniform, even though they, they've got to have a billion of him in a Canadian's uniform. And, you know, well, last season they wore the, the ad on their jersey, so they don't have any of him in an, with an ad on it. Well, they do have lots of pictures of him in the road jersey, in which even last season there wasn't an ad on the road jersey. So it was very odd to me that they chose not to put a picture of Montreal Canadian Jeff Petrie and instead uh, Pittsburgh Penguins Jeff Petrie. And in the statement, like they said that like Jeff Petrie enjoyed success in Montreal as sort of a way to like, I don't know, I just read it as very odd. Like he was, he like, like it was like they were saying he really, you know, we, we really helped him. It was very bizarre. And then on top of that, the team tweeted out, you know, good luck to Rem Pitlick, good luck to Mike Hoffman, and like nothing else. And I know maybe it's a Sunday and you couldn't get guys around to, 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 to create some, some, some graphics here, but all of that struck me as very odd, like very much so that like, hey, they're moving them. Like, don't, don't bust out the Jeff Petrie jersey again. Um, so the Canadians, with all of that being said, are probably intending on flipping him. But if they don't find the deal they like, as we talked about, we've talked about in the past, Kent Hughes isn't going to move him at a loss. Um, he's someone that can help the Canadians do more than just tread water on the back end next season. And he's a player that, that in the brief time he played under Marty St. Louis, greatly improved i really do think that dom ducharme the impact that he had on this roster really hit jeff petrie really hard um so without knowing who's on jeff petrie's no trade list although it's probably safe to assume that the rest of canada is included there but let's pretend that's not the case which teams would like to get their hands on a reduced rate jeff petrie if montreal eats the remaining money on Jeff Petrie's or half the remaining money on Jeff Petrie's deal. He can be had at a cap hit of $2.34 million for this upcoming season and the season following it. I know Petrie didn't have a great season in Pittsburgh this year, but Pittsburgh was a bit of a disaster and he's far better than what he showed last season. Um, even if he's not as good as he was in those prime years in Montreal, getting him at 234 is good value for any team trying to win. Um, my first, one of my first instincts was, well, Carolina was allegedly in on Carlson, but now they're capped out and they got Tony D'Angelo back. So there's probably no need for another defenseman there. So then I started to wonder, like, does Montreal take this Petrie, you know, Petrie as a retained salary asset? And now turn it into something that looks and re that resembles the the Monahan trade from last summer, in that Montreal takes that takes on a big contract that has one year left, retains half of Jeff Petrie's outgoing contract, and then adds a, a premium asset in order to make that happen. One of the teams that that came to my mind, and again I'm just speculating, I don't have any inside information, but. Um, Vegas has been sitting still for a long time, which is not like them. <laughs> like they like to tinker a lot. 
what would it take for the Canadians to eat the last year of Alec Martinez's contract and then retain half of Petrie's remaining contract and send him out? Mathematically, it could work out. The Canadians would be able to do all of this with about $2.5 million in cap space remaining for this season, um, upcoming with a full roster signed, and then use their third and final um, salary retention spot on Martinez at the trade deadline to send him to a contender. Yes, Alec Martinez has an eight-team no-trade clause. Probably blocks that move, but you never know. He might be willing to waive. And this isn't to say that this trade is the trade the Canadians will make, but I'm thinking along these lines that, like, Petrie, you know, can be had by more than just the teams who have the cap space currently because the Canadians still have the luxury of being able to add more money if they need to. Um, essentially, the Canadians are getting a second-round pick to eat half of Petrie's salary for the next two years if they're able to flip him. You know, like, that's that's how I'm looking at this. I, I think that in, in, in saying that, like, they should be able to eat another deal like an Alec Martinez for next season, flip him at the deadline if he stays healthy, and if not, you just run him out but you add another premium asset for the cost of doing so. Um, you know, with all of that said, um, like I mentioned about this, the have social media pages yet to really acknowledge Petrie's return outside of the press release, things seem a little tense right now. I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, if Jeff Petrie plays, you know, he's, he's going to, and I even kind of alluded to that too, he'll be valuable to this team. It just seems like a bad situation in general, and I'm not even saying that to the sense that, like, I think Jeff Petrie hates Montreal. I don't think he does. Like I mentioned last time, we, last episode, Petrie was a model Montreal Canadian. All up until Dom Ducharme really just made him made him lose his mind. I'm saying all of this on a Sunday night, so things can certainly change on Monday morning because Kent Hughes loves to announce things at 9 a.m. on Monday morning, but it, it really does feel like the Canadians have their sights set on moving him. With that said, here are final lines on Pitlick and Hoffman. I like doing this for all the players that move on. It just helps, you know, understand a little bit more of like what these guys did for the Canadians and how long they were really here. Like Rem Pitlick playing... Rem Pitlick's final line, 123 games, 21 goals, 33 assists for 54 points. I can't believe that Rem Pitlick played 123 games with this team. It doesn't seem like it. Uh, Mike Hoffman's final line in Montreal, 134 games. See, that feels like it was longer than, than Rem Pitlick. And it was a little longer, but not 11 games. 134 games, 29 goals, 40 assists for 69 nice points. I was at a game it was the last game that I went to and it's I think it was the first one I went to after the pandemic I was at a game that I think really encapsulates the Habs portions of these guys careers um it was the the first of the Marty season uh it was the first Marty season against the Devils in New Jersey um Pitlick scored the the game tying goal in the final minute um Mike Hoffman had a breakaway in overtime hit both posts, celebrated like he scored instead of trying to just tap the rebound into the net. We go to a shootout. He scored in the shootout and celebrated like he, you know, scored and like he scored in overtime and they they lost in the shootout. 
that game epitomized the Mont- the Mike Hoffman experience in Montreal. And to a lesser extent, the the Rem Pitlick one. He, I mean, Rem Pitlick, I talked about it last, last episode. He was like a, he was a really good Canadian, like, you know, not a really good Canadian in the sense that he, you know, ran up the scoreboard, but his time in Montreal was, was nice. We got him for free. We've now moved on from him without committing a ton of salary. Um, He's got some good moments. Just seemed like a cool dude, you know? From there, the last thing I want to do before we wrap up on this one, I thought it would be interesting to sort of look at the San Jose Sharks as a case study for rebuilding because I think they've done a particularly bad job so far. Um, Mike Greer, um, former Shark, took over uh, about a year ago, July 5th, uh, 2022, as their general manager. Since then, he's done the following. He's done more than this, but this is kind of the 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 low light reel for Mike Greer. Traded Brent Burns at 34% retained to Carolina for a third round pick. Um, a 26-year-old forward with almost no NHL experience and a 23-year-old goalie. Burns was coming off of a 54-point season, and then he had a 60-something point season this last year. Probably should have been more than like a salary dump, but that is what it is. He traded Aiden Hill to the Coyotes for a fourth which probably wasn't even like really bad value for Hill at the time because you know as we know Hill was then moved to Vegas and he went on to win a Stanley Cup and now has re-signed in Vegas. I don't think that was getting a fourth for him was a bad was bad value at the time, but it just hasn't aged well and it's only been a year. So very odd that that happened. Uh, traded Ryan Merkley, a first round pick who wasn't working out for Martin Kaut, a first round pick who wasn't working out. <laughs> Um, Cout actually looks like he might be turning it around, but time will tell there. Um, traded for Timo Meyer and four other players. Uh, I, I should say traded Timo Meyer and four other players to the Devils for Shakir Mukamadoulin, who looks pretty good. Um, three other players, including like Andreas Janssen, who's like replacement level NHL player, I think. Um, a first round pick, a second round pick, and a seventh round pick. Uh, turning a young star into one pretty good prospect, a first round pick, and a second, and a seventh, with some other parts thrown in to balance out rosters. It wasn't great business at the time it happened, and it has not aged well, and I doubt it will. Um, so that's a really big L there. Um, traded for one year of Anthony Duclair for some reason. I did not even realize this happened this offseason, but... Anthony declares an unrestricted free agent, and they traded a pick and a player to get him. Um, they signed Philip Zadina as a reclamation project. He sort of um, just couldn't make it work in Detroit, agreed to terminate his contract to throw money away so that he could bet on himself. And now he's in San Jose and hoping he can turn it around. All of this to say that I don't think that they've done particularly well tearing down their roster and i think there's still more tear down to do they have five pending ufa forwards heading into this season which for a rebuilding team sounds pretty good you know you let them play big minutes they pad their stats they have a big role 
and then you flip them at the deadline to a to a contender. One problem is that they all make at least two and a half million dollars. Some of them more than like almost double that. And San Jose only has one more salary retention spot left. They used one on Carlson and they will use one on Carlson for a very long time. And they have one for Burns for, I think, the next two seasons. So of those four players, five of them will have to go as is or they'll have to get another team involved to retain salary. The other problem with that is that there can't be a ton of confidence that Mike Greer knows what he's doing here. Um, you know, Shang Peng of, of San Jose Hockey Now reported from the presser that Mike Greer had interest in Vlad Tarasenko earlier this summer to try to replace some of his offense, or replace some of the offense lost from trading Carlson. And this is a quote from Peng, uh, but he thinks Hoffman can fill some of that void. Is there another Mike Hoffman I don't know about? Like, I, I that can't be a real idea. You know who else thought Hoffman could help offensively? I'll give you a hint. His name rhymes with Shark Bergevin. I don't know how you could have a ton of faith in this general manager. Greer also made it very clear that his goal in trading Carlson was to retain as little as possible. And if that was your goal, nice, you did it. But, like... I know that contracts, I know that cap space is a premium. It's the most important asset in this NHL, in, in the NHL right now. And, you know, his contract was massive. The return was always going to not be very great because, you know, the team acquiring him would have to give up a lot of cap space in order to do so. You can't trade the newest Norris Trophy winner the summer after he won the award and scored 101 points. And your only goal is to not retain salary? Like, that's a that's a massive failure. So the, the two best assets that he had to add futures are gone. And they have a first that they used on Quentin Musty, which we'll see how that works out. A first from Pittsburgh that has not been used yet. Mukhamadoulin, who looks pretty good. Uh, and a bunch of lower-rated prospects. Like, okay, maybe they're going for, like, the Blackhawks approach where they strip the whole roster down to the studs and they go after the top pick in the draft. But I don't know that they've really done enough to do that, considering that Thomas Hurdle's still here and Logan Couture is still here. If truly starting over was their plan, you'd think those two would be gone. And also, the, the Blackhawks, you know, for whatever for what it's worth, they had a target in Connor Bedard. There is no Bedard equivalent in this available for a while. They really should have been in on it last year. I really think that the Sharks think that this is going to be a quick turnaround and that they can get this fixed while Hurdle and Couture are still around. And if that's the case, I think this team's going to be largely irrelevant for a decade. To make this about the Canadians, which is what I were was trying to work up to, Montreal did not have an Eric Carlson or a Timo Meyer to trade. They're different rebuilds. They're different, you know, they're they're starting from different versions of scratch. I don't think that the Sharks were even there yet. But I don't think any two trades from Hughes and company have disappointed to the extent that the, those two trades from the Sharks, the Meyer trade and the Carlson trade, have disappointed. 
maybe it's just because you know the the higher the expectations are for the player the more that you know if they miss they just it's sort of amplified because of of the the value that was there like Montreal doesn't have a, a Meyer or a, a Carlson and they never did which is why like you know trading Tyler Toffoli and not getting like they did fine in the Tyler Toffoli trade. I think I have that rated as a C. Uh, you know, just because, the, you know, Montreal didn't get an A there, but it doesn't hurt because it's Tyler Toffoli, right? Like getting a C on the Carlson trade is like, damn, we should have had way more than that. And on the Meyer trade, we should have gotten way more than that. And it seems like Montreal, at the very least, has a timeline for when they want to be competitive again because they're almost done tearing this down. And then it's just going to be allowing the young guys to come in and fill in this roster and try to turn it into a competitive team again. The Sharks, on the other ta- the other hand, like I mentioned, I don't think they've really started to tear down yet. That that probably comes this season with the five UFA forwards that they have. They have some defensemen as well. But Meyer was traded because his contract was up and likely wasn't going to resign, and his his qualifying offer was like ten million bucks on his because he's a restricted free agent. His qualifying offer was going to be outrageous. And Carlson was traded because he straight up wanted out. He requested a trade. Like if you're looking for some point of comparison for how how the Habs rebuild is going, it certainly isn't going worse than the Sharks. Like. I don't really know that the Sharks have started yet. Which is disappointing because like they, they should be better than they are. They should be further along in this rebuild than they are. All right, that's it for now. I'll be back whenever Petrie gets traded. Could be tomorrow, could be April, who knows. Until then, thanks for listening. Here's your social media plug. You can find me on Twitter, still not calling it X, at maybe it's Ian on threads at maybe underscore it's Ian and on blue sky at maybe it's Ian dot B sky dot social. The build is also on blue sky at the build dot B sky dot social. So go follow if you're on there. The build is also on TikTok now at the build MTL. I'll continue posting uh, clips from episodes. Be nice. I don't know really what I'm doing yet. The same can be said for YouTube, putting the full episodes on there as well as, um, YouTube shorts that drive to the, or that tease the full episode. So check them out. If you see them, let me know. I don't know how this algorithm works. So let me know how it's going. All right. The music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the link in the description to head over to his Bandcamp page for the rest of his stuff. Can Kent Hughes win three straight trades involving Jeff Petrie? Stay tuned. See you later.